are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Hello, Manufactured listeners. Our guest this week is Kim. Not co-host Kim, but Kim from Kendo Province in Cambodia. Kim is in her late twenties, university educated, and part of a growing group of young Southeast Asian youth deeply interested in sustainability and embedded within the fashion industry. She started her career in the fashion supply chain, working for a major logistical company responsible for organizing the transport of finished garments made in Cambodia to their destinations around the world. She later went on to work for a brand within their buying office as quality production leader. Have you ever thought about the complicated process of moving goods all over the world? Through Kim's experience, we gain a much deeper understanding of why freight forwarders exist and what they actually do, especially in contexts where brands do not have buying offices on the ground in the given production country. We also examine the importance of incoterms, the terms which define at which point in the transportation process the seller or the factory bears the costs and risks associated with transportation, and at which point these are shifted to the buyer, the brand. On-time delivery was an important theme that came up in our first two episodes. When I shared my、uh, experiences with a third-party inspection company and as a merchandising manager. Today we return to this theme and explore how complicated it can be to locate responsibility for on-time delivery and the role of the forwarder in this picture. Next week, in part two of this conversation, we'll talk to Kim about her time working for a brand within their buying office as a quality production leader. We learned so much from this conversation and so excited to share it with you. And finally. This is a passion project for us. If you want to support the content we're putting out, please rate us on iTunes. This helps other listeners find us, and we'd love your help with that. Or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast, or drop us a line and tell us what you think directly at our website manufacturedpodcast dot com. Kim, can you paint us a picture of? Who you are? Where did you grow up? How did you get into the fashion industry? What are the different roles you've done, and、uh, what do you like about it? I grew up in Kandar Province. It takes around forty-five minutes from Pumping. My parents have a small grocery shop that can support the whole family. Let me begin when I get my inspiration. Get into the fashion industry. It is from my first job at. One of the largest company, logistic company, and it is where all my curiosity of the、uh, fashion industry start. At that time, I was so surprised about the process of how we are going to have the finished goods from the developing small country like Cambodia to other country, and I also curious to know like how they are going to manage and. And control like all the raw material to make like to make to make a finished good.、Mm. And I also curious to know about like what kind of system that they are going to run the whole factory. Like what kind of process to ensure that they have the right quality of product at the right time in the retail store. I mean, at that time I was so curious of all those kind of thing. After 
a long journey in different jobs at different companies, I feel like it is not really easy just to hang like a cloth, for example, a T-shirt, a jean in one retail store. I mean, like it takes many process and many procedures and many regulations to make it happen. Right. It's complicated. I think, especially on the logistics side, people often don't think about what goes into getting a product from one side of the world to the other side of the world. It just is something that kind of happens like by magic, but it's, it's so actually so complicated, right? Yes, because we need to think about like the legal process, how to proceed the document. And I mean, like we need to make sure that all the finished code were inspected by our custom before we can get it out from the country and also mm. need to prepare all the document to make sure that, I mean, the destination country, they can clear the like for the import mm. formality. Mm. So your interest in the fashion supply chain really comes from like, I guess, a desire to understand the details of, of how it works. Yes, of course. Because <laughs> I think it, I'm, I'm in like, because it's just like a wow, like how, how we can have a beautiful cloth hanging in the, the test store. But I mean, behind that, we have many things that we need to do to make sure that mm. it's right on time and with a good quality. Lots of steps and lots of processes probably. Yes. Think about the flam raw materials to cut mm -hmm. and the sewing and the packing. It's funny because when I moved to Cambodia, I kind of assumed, like coming from uh, uh, coming from, I was living in Europe before I went to Cambodia, and you know, in in Europe there are not very many clothes made anymore, and so I also had the same curiosity as you uh, just described, but I always assumed that people who were in Cambodia and closer to production would know all of these things. Like it would for them, it for me, it was a mystery because I was far from production, but that for people like, you know, that live and are from countries where garment production is happening, that, that there is somehow really obvious. So it's, it's interesting for me to hear that actually you had sort of a similar curiosity as, and that it was as much of a mystery for you as, as for somebody who is sitting in somewhere, another totally different part of the world. So let's talk about that logistics company. What exactly was your job there? And how would you describe or could you explain a little bit about what, what a logistics company in this case, what, what does it do? What is its role? The logistics company that I work for, they are kind of like, we call it forwarder. Mm. And it's responsible to deliver the finished goods to the destination country and have to coordinate between factory and the brand. Like, mm. to make sure that every finished good that the brand purchased from the factory, the factory need to deliver to the, like, the forwarder and then forwarder need to be responsible to make sure that it, like, arrive on time in the retail store. Hmm. And what was your job? Um, at that time, I managed several containers of finished mm -hmm. goods departing from Cambodia every week to different destinations. And I handled for the Latin American countries like us, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, and Colombia. So you coordinated 
for you worked with factories on the Cambodia side who were pro all producing for the same brand and then um, organized the shipments of those goods from those factories to their final destination uh, where they would be sold in retail shops in different parts of Latin America. Yeah, right. I At the time, I worked with like around 10 to 12 factory. So mm. like every week I need to consolidate all the finished goods from each factory that have the same destination. So mm. to ship it out. I mean, mm. the process that factory, I mean, if they want to send out the good, the finished good to the destination, they require like first they need to make a booking through a system where factory, mm -hmm. logistic company and the brand are linked together. So I mean like, the brand also can take the status of that purchase order. And at the same time, forwarder also know where the goods are. Mm. And their finished goods need to be in like logistic warehouse one week earlier before they can ship it out. So logistics warehouse, you mean a warehouse that's owned by the, by the logistics company, by the yeah. forwarder? Yes. And second, the goods need to be in the correct shipping window. Like, for example, the factory required to have their goods in logistic warehouse in specific period. Mm. So, so who sets the shipping window? Like, let's say, for example, uh, the goods you need to, you as the forwarder need to receive the goods from the factory between uh, June 15 and June 25, for example, right? At that time, I think it was agreement between the brand and the factory. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they have that agreement. Yes. And then that they, information gets passed to you. Yes, they have that kind of information. And when they make a booking to us, I can see the like the shipping window. And mm. if there is a late or any delay, there will, there will be a discussion. And most of the time, it will be like a, a full responsible of the factory. What do you mean by that? What's full res what, what, what is the factory fully responsible for? For example, if factory late to deliver the finished good to the forwarder warehouse, mm -hmm. like most of the time I was advised by the brand to ask factory to send those goods by air. And mm. the factory need to like responsible for all the costs. I see. So if if a factory misses the shipping window, then Sometimes what happens is that the the shipment needs to go by air instead, and then the factory needs to bear the costs of that. Yes. Uh, okay, so you've made it, let's say it's within the shipping window, they've made a booking, what happens next? For the next step is I consolidate multiple factories that go to the same destination in two or three containers. Mm. Like, for example, like go to Mexico, two or three containers of 20 feet or 40 feet. And then mm. make sure that it is uh, maximized loading into the container so we can sell the cost. And What do you mean maximized loading? Can you explain, can you give an example of what that means? For example, like 20 feet container, we can load until like 25 CBM if it is only apparel. And CBM here, you mean cubic, cubic meters, right? Yeah, yes, correct. And so you're trying to get the the container as full as possible, yeah, because yeah. that brings effectively brings down the cost. If you get more goods into the container, then the cost per piece is less. Yes, correct. And after that, after I consolidate, 
So I know that how many container that I need. So I need to book the container with the shipping company. Mm-hmm. And for the like at the time they have like between the brand and the shipping company they have like agreed what we call like agreement. So I need to mm-hmm. book with the one that has a lower price and also a better like lead time. And the next step is after loading all the finished gold from different factory into a container. So all the container need to be inspected by Cambodian custom. And Cambodian custom, normally they are like in the same, like it is not in, I mean, the forwarder warehouse, they have like an, a big area that they have a custom, Cambodian custom over there. So when we finish, we just call the Cambodian custom so they can inspect the good. And the last step is when the container are leaving from the port, I need to update the stator in the system. I mean, the system that I refer earlier that it is linked between factory, logistic, and the brand. So mm-hmm. they they can know like, okay, by looking at the system, they can know like, okay, what is the stator of the good? And I need to prepare a document for factory, for factory to run the certificate of origin and send out the required document for the import formality at destination country. Right. So the certificate of origin in these documents are documents that on the receiving at the on the receiving end they will need in order to clear clear customs again. Yes. And those documents don't go on the boat but go by go by air. air. Yes. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about incoterms. And for our listeners who don't know, incoterms are terms, or let's say predefined commercial terms, that um, basically signify um, who has responsibility for what, for which tasks, for which costs, and for which risks associated with the transportation and delivery of goods. So this might seem kind of technical, but actually it's really important because it's really important between the buyer, let's say the brand and the seller, the factory, to make sure that the agreement is clear about who is responsible for the goods at which moment. For example, if there's a problem on the ship and the ship sinks, who who bears the loss of those of those products right or if there's an unexpected fee that comes in when it clears customs who's responsible for that and so inco terms are basically a set of predefined terms that establish the details of this relationship and i think in the garment industry one of the terms one of those inco terms that we see quite commonly is fob um, Kim, can you explain a little bit what FOB is? The incoterm that we commonly use is FOB. It stands for like free on board. Mm-hmm. It means like the seller should bear all the transportation costs up to the port of the shipment. And mm-hmm. the buyer is responsible for all like freight costs, insurance, uploading costs right from the port of loading. And right. the buyer will meet all the transportation costs from the destination port to their final like, destination, I mean, to their place. 
Right. So like, for example, to in in the process that you just described, it means the factory is responsible for getting the goods from the factory to the port. Yes. And then the critical moment is loading. And once those goods are loaded on the boat, then all the risk is transferred to the buyer, to the brand. Um, and then from that point on, it's the brand who bears responsibility for the shipment. Okay, and we're going to come back to this critical moment of loading throughout the conversation. So I just want listeners to file that away and keep it in mind as we go forward. Yes. Yeah. Why do you think that uh, that uh, the fashion industry often uses FOB terms? FOB, the buyer, mm-hmm. they don't, I mean, they doesn't think about the transport from the factory to like the yeah, the, the forwarder warehouse and from forwarder warehouse um, to the port. So, I mean, like it's many process inside that. So, I mean, like when factory ready, they can make their own track or whatever. So, I mean, right. It, it would is be hard a bit, for a, a yeah, brand. It is a bit easier for them. Yeah, it would be hard for a brand who is based somewhere else to organize the logistics, let's say, within Cambodia from the factory to the port. Right. So that's yeah. probably one reason. And at the time, the brand that I handle, they don't have the best office in Cambodia. And there are more reasons why the fashion industry often uses FOB terms. But before we go into that, I think it's useful to just give a little bit more of a feeling to our listeners about your day-to-day and your job. And I want to switch gears momentarily and have you share a bit about what, what, what about the most difficult part of your job. Because that provides important context for what these FOB terms mean and how they're used and their consequences in practice. Based on my experience at that time, the like the frustration is mm. like the factory always asked like, "Oh, can I deliver the goods like on Saturday at this time? At this time, because like may maybe like they are they are going to late like." In the shipping window, so they ask mm. the like, "Oh, so you told your warehouse team to OT today, so I can deliver the goods from the factory to there because they are afraid that when it is out of the shipping window, the buyer or the brand we ask them to like air to shipment. do yeah to do air shipment, and the cost will be like a lot more than sea shipment." OT means overtime working. Yes. They ask you to ask the forwarders warehouse team to do overtime working yes. in the weekends. Basically, they're trying to push for as much time as possible to get these goods delivered, right? Because yes. they're never, they never arrive early. They always arrive like <laughs> always late. late or right at the deadline, right? Yes. And I think it's interesting to just point out like, or to talk a little bit, because there are a lot of reasons on the factory side why there would be so many delays. Yes. Can you, when you, when you were talking to factory management who asked you, oh, please, can you do overtime for me on Saturday so I can get this shipment in? Did you ever discuss about the reasons or what did you, what was, what was, what's your idea about the reasons why shipments might be late or almost late? At that time when I work at logistic company, mm. I just asked like, why you are away in the last minute? So mm. most of the time they said like, oh, the quality was rejected and then they need to re- rework again. Or sometimes it's just like they, they plan like 
they they fail to plan like for the production planning. Planning is too full. Mm. Yeah, they might be overbooked. Yeah, they it just mm. like the capacity is full, and then it causes a delay on this PO. Mm. Which is interesting because we talked about that in some of our in our very first episode when Jessie shared her experience with a third party quality inspection company, and how like. It can get quite complicated sometimes between the factory, the inspection company, the brand, and how kind of like these dynamics and relationships sometimes, um, what's the word, Jesse? Like uh, playing? Playing, yes. Playing, right? And that, uh, you know, everybody wants the goods to be delivered on time, but at the same time, the factory also wants to get a good, good, a good result on their inspection report so that they can, um, uh, so that, so that the inspection report can't be used against them later at the end of the season to request uh, discounts or penalties, right? I'm quite happy my experiences get confirmed from your side that uh, uh, it's true. If the result is not good, the shipment will be late and they probably are going to pay by air. That is uh, a huge finance problem for them, for yeah. factories. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, they want to do whatever they can to make sure the result is good. Yeah. For our listeners who might be wondering, why don't, why don't factories just process customs themselves? Why do they use a, a forwarder? Forwarder somehow is kind of like a company who coordinates between the brand and the factory to make sure mm. everything is on time, everything is like deliver as what factory promise and logistic promise to the brand. Because, yeah, the brand is working with many factories and all the shipment is like combine all the factory together. Right. So the factory cannot uh, like cannot process by themselves. And that combining of all of these shipments together, like from the brand side, combining all of these shipments together into full containers, of course, leads to better shipping rates, right? Yes. So part of it is maybe technical that it's complicated and knowing about the documents and having the relationships also with customs on the Cambodian side, that's maybe one reason for the existence of a forwarder. Another reason is about uh, optimizing shipping rates and and consolidating uh, shipments. And I think like um, to go back to the FOB terms, if you are the under FOB terms, the buyer, the brand has a lot more control over the freight costs and you can get better rates by combining shipments, not only from multiple factories, but also with these big logistics companies, you can negotiate rates even across countries and say, well, I'm going to use you. Uh, I'm going to use, I'm going to make a deal with this forwarder to organize all of my shipments, not only coming from Cambodia, but maybe also from China, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Yes, of course. So they can control okay. all the costs and have a better rate on this one. Right. Um, and you have, the, I think, the brand or the buyer has the benefit of basically being able to leverage its size to, to, to negotiate good, good rates, good deals. <laughs> yes. Are there any other reasons that factories wouldn't just do this themselves or that a brand wouldn't do this themselves? Is it? Is it only a matter of optimizing the, the shipping rates and getting the lowest costs? I don't know. I, I'm just throwing it out there. And one more thing, it's just like for border can be like if they don't have any office in Cambodia, for border is 
I mean, the role of forwarder is just like to like to work as a the brand company to follow up everything mm. with the factory. But mm. like, oh, why does PO do not deliver to our warehouse? Some kind of thing. I see. So when a brand doesn't have a representative office in a production company, the role of the forwarder becomes even more important because all of the communication basically goes through the forwarder. Yes. I think that is a very interesting and very important uh, in that way. Forwarder is acting out for the brands because Mm. forwarder is under contract with the brands. In another mm. word, brands are the clients of the forwarders. Yeah. So forwarders need to be very, uh, let's say, 100% uh, yeah. responsible to the clients. Yeah, like to make sure that factory deliver what, I mean, I mean, to make sure that factory deliver all the finished code based on the deadline that the brand give. And as a role of the forwarder, they need to like justify the brand, like to make sure that, all the finished goods that they require in the retail store, they need to be on time. Yeah, and the quantities, as the documents mentioned, of course, for orders, we're not to check each box, but there is a document packing list. Do the goods match with the information on the documents? Yes. So, yeah. So, in this way, for brands, it's, uh, it's more secure. Yes. It has less risks. Yeah. Yes, we need like, to cross-check the like, CBM, the kilogram of the carton with the real... Yeah. So from the other way around, if there is no forwarder, if factories manage customer clearance or manage uh, this booking container's job themselves, then there is a space for suppliers might not tell the truth to the brands before the boat leaving. For instance, maybe they produce a little bit more or they produce a little bit less and they have some motivations not to tell exactly the numbers. Or maybe they're not done on time. (laughs) <laughs> or maybe yeah. they're not done on time. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's just like a, another cross check that the brand can trust. Last gate uh, watch. Let's yeah, say. like a final checkpoint. Yeah, yes. final checkpoint. Yeah. Last doorkeeper. It's interesting because it makes me think like the fa- the production facilities that I've worked in, um, like we had quite a lot of direct contact with the brand, with our customers. I've never really worked in a, I mean, we also used forwarders, of course, but we had a pretty direct relationship. And I've, I'm like, I'm thinking out loud. I don't know if either of you guys know something about this, or maybe one of our listeners knows and can tell us, but um, it strikes me like one of the themes that we talked about in several episodes that came up kind of organically or spontaneously is about communication between brand and uh, between brand and supplier between brand and factory and now we're hearing like in some cases maybe especially when there's no representative office on the ground in the production country that so much of the communication that is going through a forwarder and it just like makes me wonder how much information must get lost in translation? You know, it's like, it makes me think of, you know, the children's game when you have like somebody who whispers a sentence into someone's ear and then they whisper it into the next person's ear and then they whisper it again into the next person's ear. And by the time you get to the end, it's like a totally, the me- the meaning of the message is totally lost. Or totally twisted. Or totally twisted, yeah. And I just wonder like, like surely that must happen and surely that must affect these relationships, right? I don't know. Open question. 
Maybe one of the questions are how many informations are hidden away for some reasons, for some very specific or clear reasons, either on the favor of suppliers or either on the favor of brands. For instance, why would the suppliers have motivations to um, um, to not tell the truth of uh, shipment date or shipping quantities? Maybe because they they uh, they invested lots of money already upfront cost for the materials, mm. production, and so on. If the goods are not leaving the production country, if the boat not leaving, there is a 0% chance they can get paid. So the goods have right. to leave. And the goods not just have to leave, but have to arrive. That's why FOB is also good for suppliers, because even the boat is not leaving, as long as the goods are on the boat, suppliers can hold the documents asking for payment. At least mm-hmm, the right. payment process started. But if the mm. goods are not leaving, still stay on the land, then there's yeah. no way they can get paid, I think. Yes. Right. And I wonder too, like, uh, Kim, I don't know if you experienced this at all, but it's just something that like popped into my head too with like the coronavirus now, right? We have all these goods in production countries that brands don't want anymore, Right. Um, because they have no market for them because all the shops are closed and the, the consumer demand has, has dropped significantly. So brands are trying to find ways to get out of accepting all of these inventory and goods, which they know will be very difficult to sell. Meanwhile, you have the factory, which, as Jesse pointed out, has spent all this money and investment in getting these goods ready to go. And I wonder, like, is it possible? Could you imagine a situation where the forwarder is asked to refuse a shipment from a factory so that that critical moment of loading never takes place onto the boat. Did you ever hear, or is that possible to happen, that a factory receive a call from a forwarder to tell the, forward, to tell the supplier saying, sorry, we received a phone call from uh, the brand. We received confirmation saying this shipment booking has been cancelled. In the past, like if it is like over, like that it cannot commit to deliver on time, and then when the like when the the brand didn't want to buy it at all, so it's just like okay, we're gonna cancel this order sometime. But yeah. but they need an excuse or need a, a reason to cancel the order, right? Most of the time, it's not the I think it's not the intention of the brand, but it's just like the factory not deliver the good. On time, on time. Really miss the time. Yeah, really miss the time. So yes, mm. it costs the cancel. So usually, this booking cancellation happens when the factories miss the shipping windows. Yes, like very, very, very like not just the missing, but the very, very late. Yeah, very, very late. That the brand cannot accept that kind of order. But it's interesting too, because I know that that you haven't been working in um in for a freight forwarder company during coronavirus, but. I come back to this example because it just shows how complicated it is because you if the if the main reason that a shipment would be declined let's say from a, by a forwarder that they say well we're not going to pick it up is because it's late there can be so many reasons for that and in the case of coronavirus it could be because for January and February of 2020 those factories couldn't get the raw materials that they needed from China right? So they had ordered all these raw materials, those raw materials arrived late, then they started production late, then they missed the shipping window, um, which is really not any 
fault of their own, but still they've paid for those raw materials and they've paid for the production and the labor that's required to make those goods, then they miss the shipping window. And then it's like, uh, how can you say, like, it's an easy way to wash your hands of the problem is to say, well, you missed the shipping window. Or even a better excuse to say, yeah, I, I believe that's definitely happening. Mm. Or a better excuse or even very legitimate excuse is uh, right because of coronavirus. You know, uh, many countries locked down, many offices closed, many people work at home. So basically, you cannot really deliver your goods to the warehouse because there's no one staying in the warehouse. Everywhere is has been locked, locked down. So right. even you can uh, drive the truck to... The goods to the to the warehouse, but there is no one to to receive it, to pick it up. And in the companies uh, taking care of customer clear, there is no clearance. There is no people working in the offices. Right. It's just shut down. Yes, right. But then it's like, oh, but you didn't you didn't make the shipping window on time. Can simply say sorry. Uh, there is just simply no container boats at this moment for one month or two months. So our right. our sales time definitely is missed, and shops closed, and goods stayed on the production country. So you can do whatever. Maybe you can do whatever you want with right. the goods, but we we are going to cancel the the booking or cancel the shipment. Right, and then and then it's like. You know, for sure, the, that factory cannot sell those goods either. I mean, not they're not supposed to sell those goods because they're branded. So it's not like you can sell an H&M shirt to The Gap, you know, or suddenly sell it to someone else. And they're not really supposed to sell it on the local market either because... Yes, yes. Uh, you know, they're responsible for protecting the integrity of the, of the brand, right? And the brand con- wants to control very tightly in what kind of outlets or situations their products are, are sold. I think... Jesse, I want to ask you actually a little bit because so we've established that, okay, the main reason, like the main sort of point of contention between forwarder and factory and, and brand is like whether or not the shipment is delivered on time. But there's another example that comes. So I guess if you don't know very much about the industry, you would say, well, the the factory needs to just deliver on time then and be responsible for its own, for its own, for its own work. Um, But coronavirus is one example, of course, of how this kind of gets complicated and messy and where you sort of locate responsibility for late shipment is not always so clear. But I want to bring up one more example that's not related to coronavirus, because I want to really emphasize that it's not Uh, coronavirus is one example, but this can also happen in situations where there's nothing unusual happening in the world. And the reason I wanted to ask you to share a little bit is because I know you've worked a lot in product development. And in product development, when you're making a sample, this is one area that takes some time, right? And sometimes there can be delays there, even though the shipping window has already been uh, defined, let's say. Uh, yes, yes. Actually, it's like a counting down process. Once the shipment mm. date is defined or once the um, the initiative plan is uh, is settled, then the counting down started. Basically, you count uh, six weeks for production, then maybe mm. two to three weeks for for product development and meanwhile preparing raw materials. So actually, the time window is quite uh, the time is quite tight. Right. And sometimes it can happen 
that like, okay, you have two weeks for product development, but actually there's a delay for some reason. We can't get the product approved or it's not quite right. And then it takes four weeks instead of two, but that your production window remains the same. So that extra two weeks just eats from your production timeline, right? And exactly, waiting yeah. for waiting for approval is not something that's always within a factory's control either. You just uh, you just uh, wake up all my traumatized experiences <laughs> <laughs> about the uh, when, when I was working in Shanghai as the merchandising manager. It was really traumatized about color checking, especially if you don't use equipment. Even you, even you use equipment, the color reading equipment, you need to ask the supplier mm. to buy the same equipment. Yeah. Otherwise, it cannot be the same. Yes. So basically, we will use a light box. Providing a specific kind of light, which is very common, normal. Uh, then mm. we put the color sample, color swatch, which is a very small piece of fabric uh, next to a Canton book, next to the Canton color. Then we use human eyes to, to, to look at the two colors and say if the fabric died, if the color on that little piece of fabric uh, looks exactly the same as the Pantone color or not. And if it's not, mm. how much tolerance we can give? So you right. can imagine. So first, it's the factory product development team doing this work. They use their human eyes to check, naked eyes to check these two colors. Then mm. send it to a merchandising uh, brand side, let's say merchandising team from the brand side. Then we use mm. our naked eyes, look at the colors, and we decide again. And if we think it's not okay, we will return it. Then the whole process starts again. Okay. Then if right. we think it's okay, we will send by X price by air. Okay. But still needs three, five, one week, seven days to arrive mm, at the yeah. um, buying office. Then buying office, mm. someone is going to use their naked eyes to check the co two colors again. <laughs> and sometimes if the, if the product is, uh, um, is a very big quantity uh, related to some big uh, amount of money, then not mm. just the buyer or the designer themselves, but also involved, uh, I don't know, purchasing director or the mm. team leader to check again. So this is actually a simplified uh, process. We already have four loops or three loops to check the colors by our naked eyes. I emphasize on naked mm. eyes because when I see something really grayish blue, maybe someone will say, mm. Uh, it's a little bit uh, green, or I say, let's mm. say marron. Marron is a kind of chestnut uh, red, or you can yeah. also call it as a <laughs> chestnut brown. You see it as a yeah. as a yellowish brown or reddish brown. This is really a huge headache. It's it's nightmare. It's really nightmare. Yeah, but you can see how like on time delivery really requires close collaboration between brand and factory and really strong communication between brand and factory. And there's a lot of room for things to go wrong. And yet when we, uh, Kim, when you talk, when you describe the process of like, or the role of the forwarder, you see that that like when, when, when it comes to the forwarder and the actual delivery of the shipment and this critical moment of loading, the factory bears sole responsibility for the on-time delivery of those goods, yes. right? Yes. And I think that's the important point, I think, for listeners to understand is that 
the forwarder is, I think Jesse described it so well when she said it's like the last, the final check, right? The final check before these goods are, the ownership of these goods are transferred. And the timing of that delivery is so important. But all the things that affect the timing of that delivery are basically not considered at all in terms of how we locate responsibility uh, for achieving that, <laughs> right? Yes. Kim, I was wondering what's your idea about uh, sustainability or um, the connection between sustainability and the forwarder? From my own understanding, sustainability, it means like for what we have right now, it should like our, gen our next generation should have the same. I mean, if not, we need to compensate them with like another option. Yeah. So if you ask me what is the connection between sustainability and forwarder, for example, I can respond example like regarding climate change. Climate change is just like there are many factors that cause climate change. But one of those is, uh, I mean, from like the air plant that they pollute the air and then the carbon dioxide that from from building the fuel, you mean? Yes. So, I mean, like, if we have many airshipments or many cargo, like, I mean, from forwarder perspective, if we have many cargo and it goes by air, so it also one of the cost to the climate change. Transportation, cargo transportation is a bit heavy topic about related to climate change or climate emergency, actually. Yeah, in order to control the temperature increasing, there are a lot to do. Right. And I think the important point to, to point out here is that, of course, sea shipping has a negative environmental impact as well. But the environmental impact of air shipping is even worse. And one of the reasons that we see a lot of these shipments going by air is due to delays earlier on in the production process. And currently the way that we have for addressing this is to put in like a safety checkpoint or you could call it like a control point um, towards the end of the supply chain with the forwarder. And then locating responsibility for that delayed shipment with the with the supplier. But in fact, it's a lot more complicated than that. And if we were to sort of deal with that complexity head on and find solutions earlier on in the process, then probably we could also reduce the number of shipments that are going by air. Now, that doesn't negate the environmental impact of the transport of goods, but it certainly um, uh, avoids unnecessary unnecessary air shipping. So another less obvious way that this connects to sustainability has to do with traceability. And traceability is a pretty hot word right now within sustainability departments in brands. Brands are, are really keen to understand exactly where the clothes that their companies are selling are, are made and, and how they're produced. And this is an important being able to trace where exactly where a where a garment comes from from the farm or the raw materials that it's been made with all the way through to its final destination with a consumer is really important to understanding and starting to think about and analyze that garment's environmental impact. And the relationship here between forwarder fact 
factory and brand can get a little bit murky sometimes. And the role of the forwarder is sort of mediating the relationship between supplier, factory, and brand can sometimes obscure information that's really important for transparency and for traceability. Kim has an example that she's going to share with us, which relates to, on occasion, shipments that were received in her forwarder's warehouse, which had labels on them that said that the goods were made in Vietnam, when in fact those goods were made in Cambodia. What happened? Can you tell us just a brief context? And- uh, as I remember correctly, uh, when I was in, I mean, when I worked at logistic company, we used to have a problem with the label, like it mentioned, like made in Vietnam. And at the time, the custom random inspect the, I mean, the, the cut, cut in that container and then find out like there are some carton that uh, say the apparel were made in Vietnam. And at the time, I mean, it is not a legal way mm. to do so. Yeah. I mean, to mix up between made in Vietnam and made in Cambodia and ship out from Cambodia country. It is okay. illegal. Okay, so it's, sorry, it's not a making mistake. It's a... I'm not sure whether they are like of the label or what, why they use made in Vietnam, but it is not legal to ship that like made in Vietnam and made in Cambodia together. Okay, yeah. And yeah. made in Vietnam cannot ship out from, from Cambodia country. I mean, yeah. it is illegal. So, And it's hard to know exactly why the wrong label was used, but we can probably speculate that it has something to do with trade agreements. But the reason why this happened is sort of besides the point. I think the bigger point to underscore here is that the way the forwarder serves to kind of shield and obscure the brand from this playing that happens behind the scenes between customs, the factory, and the forwarder. And when I say shield here, really what I mean also is protect the brand from legal accountability. It, it's kind of a way that, that, that they don't have to get involved or, or know about the dirty work. Uh, at that time, I mean, as a forwarder, we didn't deal it correctly. I mean, we didn't deal it directly with our like our supplier because we have a broker. A broker, it means like we have one company who who do the uh, clearance process for us. So we ask broker to deal it with custom and factory, like how to sell it. I see. So you have a broker is like a media doing the communication between the customer clearance and the factories when yes. there is a problem related to customer clearance documents or process. Yes, you are right. Yes. So at that time, I asked our broker to contact with the factory and the custom to solve that kind of problem. So in this, uh, in this event, forwarder as a role uh, uh normally we don't work with custom directly it's just like custom informed to our broker and then our broker informed to us like okay this factory has a problem something like this okay so we just like okay inform to the factory okay you need to come and deal with our custom and our broker like actually it 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 is factory to deal with the custom and our 
broker is just like a facilitator, like in the middle of these two parties. Do you know what happened after? Mm, I don't know actually how they deal with that. I mean, I didn't know actually whether custom asked factory to revoke and replace the label or what, but what I can remember is like we can ship it on time. Okay, that's a great news, but you don't know the details, right? Yeah, I really don't know the details. Okay, that's interesting. Does it mean the factory... Okay, you, you actually don't know if the factory changed the goods or changed the label or did something. Yeah, yes. Okay, so it's very useful to have a broker in between. Yes. And I want to shift gears one last time here before we wrap up this conversation, and that's to talk about how SOPs, Standard Operating Procedures, also affect sustainability because if we think about sustainability really what we need is all players of the supply chain working together towards some shared sustainability related goals and Kim's experience working with a forwarder and the relationship between forwarder and brand really goes to show how the way that we have defined roles and responsibilities and the standard operating procedures within the forwarder company affect whose interests are protected and whose aren't, and also create space for how we might think about where we need to sort of revise or re-examine what the rules are and whose interests, or maybe the planet's interests, uh, we, we try and... Um, and better and better protect. So when you work in that uh, forwarding freight forwarder companies, you also have SOP. Yes, actually we have a thick SOP, like many things in that SOP. So we we got the SOP from the brand. I mean, the brand actually mentioned very detail of every process that we need to do. Mm -hmm. Like for example, like a shipping window. Okay. What is the timeline and when we need to update the status? Yes. I, I mean, it contains a lot of information that as a forwarder, we need to follow that SOP. So it's very detailed and really standardized on each small steps. Yes. And yes, it is It also a project for forwarder with a factory. Like, okay, whether the factory respect, I mean, the timeline or not. It also, okay, it's also a procedure about how you should communicate with factories. Uh, it is not about the, how we communicate, but it's it more about like, okay, for shipping window, for example, if we allow to have like eight days of shipping window, so it, mm -hmm. it means like factory also know that it is eight days of shipping window. Mm -hmm. It's just like a cross-check system, okay? Mm -hmm. So the brand mentioned it, Clearly, that shipping window is eight day. So I mean, like, okay, factory also need to respect that eight day. So it like, okay, when I receive the the finished good from the factory is out of the shipping window. I mean, like, it and it to be rejected. Ah, so the SOP also mentioned the uh, measures about uh, consequences if the factory didn't follow yes. what forwarder should react. Yeah. Yes, and. And that SOP, it also mentioned like to like some specific destination, for example, to Mexico, to Colombia, what kind of document that you need to send out after like the cargo already sent to destination. 
So is this uh, SOP really designed to, it sounds like to protect the brand's interest, to protect their profits? I think so, because, I mean, the one who create SOP, it's just like they can foresee like what we have planned and what is the consequences. And to avoid that, I mean, you need to design your SOP based on that. Okay, yeah, that's a very good point of view. You mean they already foresee all kinds of challenges, all kinds of risks. Yeah, so I mean, like, they can foresee everything, and then they can just design the SOP to protect, okay, if it happened, what is the next action? What is the best choice for us? Yeah. What is the best way to manage the risks? And what shall we ask the forwarder to cooperate with us? Yes. Okay, that's really interesting, yeah. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I mean, we often think of rules as neutral arbitrators, and we forget that they've been written by someone for someone. And that doesn't always necessarily mean that they're a bad thing or that they benefit some over others. It just means that they're not neutral and interests are written in. And thinking about sustainability really requires thinking about our interests, our collective interests, and not the interests of only one party in the supply chain. And so... I think that's a really interesting note to conclude on and because it's certainly a lesson that applies to lots and lots and lots of other areas um, that define the way that we do business and um, it's an interesting note to end on and to, to leave our, you know, to, to ponder what, what is the role of standard operating procedures and how are certain interests and uh, risks reflected and, and mitigated or managed within them? And, and how might that need to change if we really want to work on a challenge like sustainability? Kim, thank you so much for joining us. I know that we've really learned a lot from your experiences and we're so, so grateful. And we hope that our listeners found it as engaging and exciting and interesting as we did. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, check out our website, manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. Leave comments on Instagram or connect with us privately through our website. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show, and we'd love your help with that. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Mm-hmm.